Who's the best? I actually know the answer to this. It's Alexa, isn't it? The best tea maker. She's quite ready with Alexa. Them. She is, is very a good. Fabulous tea maker. Yeah, Davy's the worst. <laughs> I sometimes do sneaky like herbal tea, but I don't offer to do a whole round if I'm doing like just a herbal. It's a different. If thing. it's a herbal, you don't offer. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I just I won't understand. have to make like nine teas. I don't think. <laughs> just for a little ginger and lemon. No. Gage, you're a good tea maker. Thank you very much. I was waiting for that. Do you still have that coffee order, which is like, it's like one teaspoon of instant and then like loads of milk and two sugars. Or Who does that? TJ. Yeah, that was my yeah. bootleg lattes. That was more bootleg of a, lattes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what used, are you talking about? It used to about? be because they were like fake lattes. It'd be like two <laughs> two teaspoons of instant coffee and then like a whole mug of milk. You drink a concern amount of coffee, I think. You yeah. know, by, by half past ten, you're on your fourth or fifth. We need to do an Six cups a day. Yeah. That's fucked up. All right. <laughs> That's why you have so many brilliant ideas. Thank yeah. you very yeah. much, Davey. Yeah. You're about Thank you. All right, very good. So we'll do another magazine then. Yeah. Nah. Why not? Why not? Yeah. You're listening to The Face Podcast with me, Matthew Whitehouse, recorded at Spotify. Today we're looking at what's inside the new print issue of The Face. We've got full studio and joined by Face Features Editor Olive Pometsi, Style and Culture Editor TJ Sidhu, Music Director Davey Reed, and Assistant Editor Jade Wicks, who went to LA to interview Olivia Rodrigo for our latest cover. The new issue of The Face is out now. The new issue. Woo! Happy? Happiest. Still worth nine ninety five, isn't it? Worth one billion dollars. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Well, Jake, I mean, we could start with you, you know, because you wrote the cover story for the new issue. Yes. Olivia Rodrigo. You went to Los Angeles. Yeah. To interview her. What was it like? It was amazing. I mean, you know, I had a bit of a travel nightmare, as uh, as everyone in this room knows, when I arrived in LA. Um, but it was actually... And you, that was your hotel room, wasn't it? It was my you, hotel room. It was room. a mix-up with the booking. You didn't have a, a hotel room. Booking, so, so a kind receptionist took pity on you. and Yes, yeah. exactly. And it all got Good. sourced in the end. Um, and thankfully, the interview wasn't the next day because I landed in the evening. So I had a whole day to mm. kind of recover and mentally prepare myself um, to go and meet Olivia for coffee in West Hollywood, which was lovely, to be honest, as you'd expect. Um, she was just the sweetest, super open, super nice. I mean, there was just like absolutely nothing and I have no bad words to say about her what's her coffee order so usually it's a matcha she's a mm. self-professed matcha freak <laughs> but you built a bit of uh, rapport with her mm. now because you interviewed her was it 2020 what you interviewed her around driver's license had just come out right yeah yeah so it was post driver's license pre-sour yeah I think it was April 2021 that was kind of the first UK interview she did of that first campaign yeah. to my knowledge yeah it was actually it mm. was that's crazy yeah mm. we did it over zoom and yeah, she was she was just as lovely. I think maybe she was um she was a little bit more open um when I interviewed her this time around, probably by virtue of kind of like being in person as well. It's a bit mm. more kind of personal. Mm. But yeah, it's a nice kind of full circle moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you didn't you did that and then she she interviewed General Tager for the cover of the the winter issue mm. came out last winter. She did yep. that and you, and you sort of moderated that. Yeah. And then you did this one. So did you kind of um, notice any great change in her in, over those two years, you know, when you spoke to her for this most recent issue compared to the first time you've spoken to her, perhaps? I think maybe she was just more open, to be honest, and more just kind of like comfortable talking about things, mm. I think, and just kind of less cautious, maybe, mm. in her approach to an interview. Mm. And then with Jenna... That was over Zoom as well, and it wasn't kind of like me talking to her directly. But she was a really good interviewer, actually. She was really good. She was really good and really confident. Yeah. She actually told me that she was really nervous about it and that she doesn't know how we do the job that we do. 
It's much harder than her job, which I find hard to believe. How did you approach the, doing the interview? Well, I think it was interesting. We talked about this because she had done so many interviews before and the mm. album had kind of come out already and all the reviews were out and she did the New York Times and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like approaching it as a way of kind of trying to understand who she is as a person, as a 20-year-old, as someone who's just kind of emerged from their teen years and what that is like rather than kind of like really digging into what the album's about and what the lyrics are because that, that was already kind of like out in the world. So that was kind of like how I tried to approach it. What about stuff left on the cutting room floor? Was there anything that you that didn't make the final cut that, that you would have liked to have? There's nothing that, that didn't make the cut that I was like really unhappy with or anything mm. like that. But there was a big kind of like, there was a bit of a big British theme going on where she just like loved kind of like British culture. And she was telling me that last time she was here, she kind of jumped on a like scary bus tour of like all the haunted places that you can go to in London, like where Jack the Ripper killed his victims and the Sweeney Todd barbershop and graveyards and stuff like that. She just like absolutely loves London and she loves... Well, that's where we met her, isn't it, when we had... The, yeah, when, when we, we had, had the dinner. dinner. Yeah. When we had the dinner where I didn't actually speak to her as much as I would have liked to, but she was just kind of busy chatting to everyone, to be honest. Um, mm. She was super mm. relaxed and and um, not at all kind of... Well, she th- th- she was just very down to earth, yeah. you know, and she's kind of, she's great conversationalist, she's nice to talk to, she's very curious in yeah, people, you yeah, know, kind totally. of likes asking questions. Yeah. Um, and that was during, it was, uh, she was over for promo, wasn't she, in the UK, mm. it was when Guts was coming out, that yeah. sort of week that she was doing it, and obviously because of the, you know, you'd interviewed her and she'd done the Jenna thing before, mm. and we knew that we were going to do the cover, it was kind of like, oh, well, let's do something together, you know, why don't we have a little dinner? So it was kind of nice, wasn't it? There's was Madeline Argy and Central Sea were there. And, yeah, it was lovely. Know, we know how girl. that one ended, didn't we? Yeah, uh, there was um, Archie Madekwe, he was there, wasn't he? Rashad, TJ, yeah. Olive, you were there. Yes. Yeah, most importantly. Yeah, most importantly. <laughs> 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 Who was in the karaoke crew after? Was it any of you? Because there was, there was a karaoke trip mm. afterwards that you mentioned in your piece. Olivia went and did karaoke. Yeah. And Danny and Daniela, fashion directors, they went, right? They did you went. go? I did not go, regrettably. I removed myself. I did. I thought I'm going to be graceful and yes. this is my time to... Yeah, I was I was very chic. I left quite early. Mm. I did have like a little debate in my head, like, should I go, should I go, should I go? And then I was like, no, it's not smart for you I to think go. I would have um, embarrassed myself deeply yeah. if I had gone. And I would have hated myself the next day. Yeah, one of the best decisions <laughs> I've made, I think. I actually pretended that the paparazzi outside the restaurant were for me. <laughs> of course you did. Not surprised. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think Joe Locke from Heartstopper went, and Madison, who who were both good, yeah, good friends. Of, um, and you spoke to them for the for the feature. Yeah, I spoke to them for the feature, uh, which was again a really lovely way to kind of like tie things up. Um, they had some really lovely things to say about her, but um, but yeah, they headed down to karaoke mm. to be a fly on the wall. Mm. <laughs> Favorite bit from the interview? Okay, well, most interesting bit from the interview. I thought was when I was kind of asking her whether or not her like acting life had um, prepared her at all for like all this level of like public scrutiny and being in the public eye and which she has said in previous interviews before that that it has done because she was kind of like with adults on set all day and it kind of like made her grow up really fast and make her really mature but also she was kind of able to be really vulnerable in her writing and really emotional as a result of being an actor and that she was always really encouraged to be hyper emotional and I thought that was a kind of really funny kind of paradox in a way that you're kind of forced to like Mm. grow up and control your emotions really early on but also Mm. at the same time you're encouraged to really kind of like live them out and put them on the page um, which I think encapsulates kind of why she's such a good artist at such a young age Mm. I thought that was that was an interesting Mm. tidbit Mm. and takeaway for me very good interview online Mm. now read it on theface.com available to purchase Uh, sticking with music features then Davey let's talk about some of the music stuff yeah so 
Firstly, we've got the Doja Cat fans piece. So we had this idea, I guess, Doja Cat this year. Obviously, her kind of beef with the kittens, her fan base has been a massive story. She lost half a million followers on social media. She's kind of tweeted that, you know, fans are stupid for listening to the cash grabs that were her previous albums. And... Yeah, she's just launched her Scarlet Tour and I think we've kind of realised in recent years that big tours can really drive conversation. Like the certain tours people go on and they're all over TikTok and that can be like a bigger thing than an album. So we decided to go to uh, down to the LA show, which is the second date on the tour and shoot the fans. I actually thought that Ice Spice was also playing on that, but uh, the writer was like, you do realise Ice Spice isn't doing LA date? And I was like, <laughs> no, I did not realise that. But actually, do you know what? It's a stronger story just focusing on the Doja Cat fans. And we well, that, had... that's a nice that's a nice thing about making a magazine as well, though, isn't it? Because you sort of, you set off with a, with a certain idea and through circumstance, misfortune, sometimes fortune, you know, luck and kind of, all of these sort of contributing factors, you end up with something slightly different by the time you come to do it. And in that case, we thought... Ice Spice was supporting, we'll do a thing on their fandoms and blah, blah, blah. It became a tighter story by just concentrating on Doja Yeah, Cat. yeah, I mean, yeah. like, fortunately, I misread the press release and, and got, like, quite essential information wrong. But um, it was good because we had, you know, we had the writer Lena Baskell, our friend in L.A., uh, write the story and interview some fans outside the stadium. And then we also had Mark Hunter, a.k.a. the Cobra Snake, shooting. And I think... Like the word Cobra leg- snake of indie sleaze. Exactly. Like the word legend is like thrown around too liberally, but like the Cobra <laughs> Snake is well and truly a legend. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he was like um, very, very big in the kind of noughties, uh blog house kind of early hipster culture era, which has been retroactively rebranded as indie sleaze. He was well and truly there and he's had a really glorious comeback the last couple of years and he was at our um came to our london fashion week party recently at the 22 he did and he was like very very he was like i'm gonna shoot something for you guys and we're like yes cobra snake you will yes and uh and yes yeah, so, so, so he's a lovely fella he's a great guy and he um it turns out him and lena um they describe themselves as a dynamic geo i think they're friends i think because lena wrote a book about blog house which came out um, a couple of years ago. So I think, I presume he must be in it loads because he was well and truly there. So we had that. And yeah, and then as well, we've got uh, BK The Ruler, who is one of my favourite uh, artists, one of my favourite rappers at the minute. She's in it and she is interviewed by Mano uh, Racing, who I was really pleased to get Mano uh, writing for us because he runs this website called No Bells, which is pretty much my favourite music website now. It's like a very independent DIY blog but it, with very young contributors but they cover like really really cutting edge rap and sort of internet-y hyper-pop adjacent electronic music and uh, yeah if anyone's f- thinks oh shit I'm getting old and out of touch I need to know more about cutting edge underground internet rap music then you should start reading Nobels but yeah so he's a big fan of BK she's 21 year old artist from Atlanta. She's 21. Yeah, she's 21, which is mad because I started listening to her a couple of years ago. So she must have been about 18 or 19. Yeah. She worked with Kanye on around the Donda era, and that unfortunately didn't work out. So she kind of opens up a bit about that. And yeah, it's shot by uh, Mark Sikamar, and uh, Marcus Cuffey styled it. And then, yeah, the other feature inside we've got is uh, Nina Cristante from Boritalia, who are the very elusive and very hyped indie bands who just didn't do any press at all to really really recently 
Um, yes, we decided to do Nina just on her own because I think there's another magazine who were doing the first Bar Italia interview and also Nina, there's like a lot of intrigue around her because she's one of the three members of Bar Italia but she also has a lot of interest in solo music and she also does some visual art stuff and has like a long sort of uh, resume of exhibitions across the world and she's also a nutritionist and has like invented her own diet and stuff like that so we were just like maybe we should just do just do Nina and yeah it was shot by a car in Clay. It's a nice feature. You're right, Bar Italia are so busy. Definitely, definitely. Like I've been chatting to Bar Italia. They first kind of popped up a couple of years ago, like during lockdown, um, and they were like on Dean Blunt's label, World Music, and like I follow Dean Blunt and everything he does really closely. And there's a lot of mystery around them, and loads of people like have you heard this band? And then so I've been chatting to the manager for maybe two years or something about doing something in the face so I'm, I'm glad that something's finally finally made it to print mm, you don't pick the easy ones to do in the magazine do you no no <laughs> you don't pick no. the people who actually want to do press yeah I just I don't know it's, I just I, I seek stressful situations I think yeah. very good music features it's good yeah it's nice and again by you know circumstance you sort of shave off a few edges of what you're working on and we ended up with some really nice tight music features in this issue which is Excellent. Amongst other features, of which, Olive, you're across all of them, and, and you wrote one yourself, which is the, the one about teenage girls. Do you want to tell us about that one? Okay, yes. So the teenage girl story, that came from the Girl Guiding Survey. So every year, the Girl Guiding organisation, who do like brownies and girl guides and all that kind of stuff, they do this massive survey of teenage girls and what it's like to be a young girl at the moment. And we've kind of like talked about doing something around that for a long time. We mm. talked about doing it last year because there was an mm. interesting statistic in it last year that sort of noticed that girls in the north are unhappy, more, more likely to be unhappy than the girls in the south. Mm. Um, but then this year, the survey came through and it was kind of, the, the picture it painted was much more general, but like also worse um, and it kind of found that like 89% of girls and young women aged 7 to 21 generally feel worried or anxious mm. um, which is a huge portion of young girls and women like I know that it's always been hard to be a teenage girl but that seems like shockingly high and I think like that's also happening alongside a lot of different things that are happening in teenage girls lives like I think one massive thing that we've been talking about and like has been in the news loads is like kind of like rising misogyny among teenage boys and like mm-hmm. um, violence around that. There was the tragic case of Elaine Andam, uh, who the 15-year-old schoolgirl who was murdered for rejecting a boy's advances. So I think all of these kind of things were happening at the same time and it yeah. was kind of felt like maybe... I think when these sort of things happen and you get these statistics and you you have these horrible instances of violent misogyny in the news, you, like you always have like... I don't know, 30-year-old columnists like talking about like how bad it is and how scary it is. So I think the point of this feature was to really actually speak to teenage girls and see what they think about life and how they're, they're feeling. So that's what we did. Mm. Um, how did you find the teenage girls? Uh, we worked with a casting director, uh-huh. um, Lisa Dimpf, who was really good, but they were all street cast. We, tried, we really didn't want like them to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. models or people who were used to being, well... Obviously, they, it doesn't matter if they are used to be in front of the camera, but I think we wanted them to like very much. They feel like normal girls, so mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. Um, we set up in like a little community centre in the Isle of Dogs, and I think we had about fifteen girls come in during the day, and they were all with their mums and their sisters and their parents, and it was really nice. What were they like? Were they excited or kind yeah. of nervous or? It really depended. Um, some of them were really excited. Like there were the t- two girls; they were like eighteen and nineteen, I think. 
Um, so like they were a bit older, and like they came in and they were like instantly they made like a beeline for like the clothes. Oh really? Because you were, just like, started a, like a pile of clothes. Yeah, just like a veil of clothes, yeah. and like it wasn't like properly styled, but it was like the, yeah, there was yeah, a veil yeah. of clothes there, and they could choose from it, and like they made a beeline for the clothes. They put on these like um, massive CP like puffer jackets, and immediately you're like taking selfies, and like they were like, can you take a picture of us? Like they were so excited. Um, and then there was some girls who were really shy and it was you had to like kind of like work a little bit harder to like get them to trust you and talk. Um but it was really nice. Um and Eileen Perrier, um, who's an amazing photographer, she shot that and so we've got this these beautiful portraits of teenage girls and alongside it a report of what their lives are like. And Eileen and people well probably people who uh, in London who have visited London recently would have seen one of Eileen's pictures mm. used to advertise. What's the name of the exhibition you went to? Uh, it's The Missing Thread. The yeah, Missing Thread. In uh, Somerset House. And it's about? It's a celebration of black British fashion and its influence uh, sort of from about I think it's about the mid seventies uh, up to the present day. And Eileen's pictures used as the as the main image, right, on all of the posters yes. and stuff mm. for the exhibition. Yeah. So people will have, will have seen her work if they didn't know who who it was that did it. So amazing photographer to do it. And the day went well. And you kind of did you did you find the girls were kind of um, once you broke the ice, they were quite open to talking about yeah. what they were experiencing. I mean, it really again it depended. Like some girls were a bit shy, nervous, and I guess. Some were really chatty, some were not so chatty. Um, but all of them were very opinionated and all of them had stuff to say. And all of them were also... I think the interesting thing that I found working on this story is that, you know, especially, like, going off the Girl Guiding Survey and other research that I'd done, I was like, oh, my God, like, teenagers are so stressed about everything. They've got, like, climate change, they've got sexism, they've got body image, they've got social media, like, they've got all these things and, like all these conversations are going to be really depressing because these girls are just going to talk about how mm. shit it is. Mm-hmm. Mm. But loads of them were just like, oh, yeah, it is crap, but actually I just like hanging out with my friends and I'm really happy when I get to be on TikTok for five hours and, you know, boys are dickheads, but, like, who cares? I'm going to be mm. a marine mm. biologist anyway. Mm. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, they were all just, like, they didn't really see any of those challenges I think they were worried about them and like they were they were definitely on their mind but like I don't think they saw those as like roadblocks for their future and where they wanted to get to those be. big kind of existential things you mean like climate change yeah, or yeah, war yeah. or yeah, kind exactly. of you know, yeah. like they were all worried about it and they all mentioned it but like it didn't feel yeah. like something that would be hold like would hold them back yeah and I think that's like sometimes when you read that reporting it's like oh my god Gen Z like doomed they've got nothing to look forward mm, to and all mm. that kind of stuff and these girls were really like oh no I really want to grow up and have a big flat and mm-hmm. I'm not bothered about getting married and I just want to like there was one girl we interviewed one trans girl mm. and um, she was really clear on like the fact that she wanted to get to a place where she was you know in the limelight herself and that she could be a role model for other people so I think there was like just all of those different experiences felt like the overall tone of it felt really optimistic. It did, yeah, yeah. yeah you did a really good job at that because, you, you, as you say, you know, you read those statistics and you think, oh, this. Uh, you want it to fit in a magazine and make people it be something that people want to read, you mm. know. And you, and you kind of you're always looking for that hope and that optimism. You did a really good job of finding that, I think, with with, yeah. the, with those girls. Well, it was the girls. You did yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. You know, you you've kind of read everything in the magazine. Did you start to notice different kind of uh, themes? To, you know start to appear yeah I mean obviously the big one is like youth and mm. just um, that kind of young energy because obviously you've got Olivia here on the cover and all of her fans are very young and she feels like someone who kind of embraces the kind of messiness of like those teenage years and early adulthood yeah. and like isn't afraid to like kind of talk about 
wanting to get your boyfriend back and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but then obviously teenage girls, very teenage. Um, and then we did another piece about what it's like to be the challenges facing students right now. And we got student writers to contribute to that. So that felt very young. But that was like an overarching theme. But I think it kind of sounds very vague, but I feel like a lot of the features, well, all of the features are very much so about people. Mm-hmm. Like they're not mm-hmm. about things, they're mm-hmm. about people. Mm-hmm. And their lives and their stories you know whether that's a profile that like kind of like really digs into why an artist is the way that they are or a feature that is kind of like documenting the way that like people are changing or trends and like social habits are changing there's less of the kind of stories where it's like oh like last time we mm-hmm. had like hat and garden a like story mm-hmm. about watch dealers mm-hmm. and that was about a thing mm-hmm. whereas this all these stories are about people yeah no you're right and, and that's kind of often my favorite things that we do you know for example your feature on teenage girls came from a statistic we read by the girl guides that found that you know 40 percent of of young people think this you know and we kind of went and humanized it and put a face to that statistic and we've done it before i think a few issues ago we did that thing on female van drivers where again we read a statistic 43 percent of van drivers white van drivers are now women you know half of whom uh read a broadsheet newspaper and it completely spells that kind of myth the white van man or i think about when we went and did that feature on scouts in Withenshaw, came again from a statistic scouts have risen in, in urban areas by x percent so we went and put and humanized it you know so i really like it when we do those things that sort of take something quite dry and and as you say put a face and put a, put a person to it and it's, it makes it easier for a reader to connect to doesn't it yeah yeah and i think even just the like even the images as well the photography that we've got in the magazine like jim goldberg obviously mm. his work he shot is olivia. like yeah he shot mm. olivia his work is very much though rooted in like finding the humanity in his subjects and like telling their stories eileen again like she's more of a documentary photographer then we've got sunil gupta who worked on tj's great british south asian oh, portfolio TJ. um <laughs> So all of these photographers, yeah, I think that also kind of adds to like this kind of very human feeling in the magazine. Wonderful link to hand over to TJ to talk about <laughs> his Hi, Olive. British South Asian portfolio, which is really great. And as, and as Olive said, was shot by Sinal Gupta. Yes, one of my favourite photographers. Is he? Um, that, yeah, that was a real. Was a and real he took your picture, didn't he? He did. You didn't yeah. make the magazine. Didn't but make he did the cut. Take, he did sadly. take your picture. It was more of a test shot, shall we say, <laughs> if that's what he wants to call it. Fine. <laughs> well, tell us about that. So, so it's a portfolio. Uh, well, go on, you tell us. Well, I suppose I just observed a lot of British South Asian actors, musicians, artists, fashion designers, footballers who been coming out say in the last two or three years some of them emerging some of them more emerged um but I think for me it felt very personal because I had never seen I guess so many people who look like me and are from a similar heritage as me um on such a vast scale um mm, and, and since well, I was a kid really and you set the scene so nicely in your piece oh, you know where you. you say what was it I can't remember you said, who, who was arrived all at the same time was kind of hanging out so Nina and Athen uh who are an artist duo Rish Shah actor and Sheena Patel uh author of uh I'm a fan they all sort of arrived within about an hour of each other mm. and there was a really special moment uh at the beginning at the beginning of the shoot and it was really grey and rainy outside and um, and then inside it was, you know, so beautiful. It was like Bollywood music playing. It was all very twinkly. It was, it was like, you know, cups of tea. And um, they were all sort of rummaging around like Sunil's incredible bookshelves and um, sort of asking him questions. And it was Nina, one of the artists who had written her dissertation on him. It's about three years ago. How she, cool is yeah, that? And then she, she's there getting a photo. I like know, a, I know. Mega, it's so cool. It? And Athan actually got her book signed as well. That's very <laughs> sweet. What was Sunil like? 
Oh, so fantastic. Really? Um, he's like just how I imagined him to be. Very gentle, warm. Yeah. Um, so he was very much like an uncle. Uncle's, uncle figure, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Walking around in flip-flops and, you know, having a sip, sip of a cup of tea from like the same same tea for like two hours. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he, was, he just had such a warm embrace to everyone, I think, um, as the day was going on. And... Yeah, it was such a pleasure. And tell us why it felt important to do this now, because we, cause we spoke a lot, didn't we? And when we were doing the piece, we kept thinking of more things of that great period at the end of the 90s and the start of the noughties where it felt like Asian representation on TV in Britain and in film was at an all-time high, right? So what was the yep. sort of stuff that was happening then and, and why did you decide it was a good idea to do it now? So just for context, there was, yeah, so there was, a, I guess, uh, what a lot of journalists refer to as the golden age of uh British Asian cinema, culture, media, which happened somewhere in the mid-90s up until about the early noughties, really. Um, and at that time, there was a big, yeah, there was a big explosion of brown people on TV, like TV shows like Goodness Gracious Me. There were films by Gorinda Chada, so Bend It Like Beckham, or East is East was another one. It felt like the first time that, I guess, immigrant stories were being told in the mainstream media in Britain. Mm. But more than that, it... it it felt very honest. Um, there was a lot of humour, and I look back on that period very longingly. But the the only thing is, I was uh, I was very very young at that time. So you know, I was born in ninety five. So I must have been like what six, I think. Yeah, about six or seven when Bend It Like Beckham came out. Um, so I think I think back on it with this sort of rose tinted nostalgia, but I, I didn't really experience it. Mm. So I think for me now, looking at at the you know the people who are people who are in this portfolio, for me, this is almost like that cultural renaissance again happening. Um, but it, this time, and I think this is where it's quite important in the portfolio, this doesn't, f for me, I didn't want this to feel like a trend, you know, mm. whereas that back then was a trend, but I feel like now it's more of like a, no, we're here to stay. Uh, you know, our voices are important and we're making things happen <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I think similarly to Olive's um, Olive's uh, Teenage Girls feature as well I wanted this to feel very optimistic you know I think in the UK so many sort of racial tensions there's a lot of divide and I wanted a young person to be able to read this and think wow great I can do the same thing exactly exactly what was great was that so I think there were 30 yeah 13 talents in total and you know each of them came with such a different perspective you know, you had like Sheena Patel, who was so brilliant and so witty. And she was talking about like, you know, how she feels very English. Mm. You know, she's I, there was that quote. Where she was like, I'm mouthy like an English person. I like, you know, uh, beige food like an English person. It was brilliant. <laughs> um, and then you had Rish, who was talking, you know, more about like the old Bollywood influence that he grew up with and how he's met some of his heroes, like being on set. They all felt very optimistic mm. about the future mm. and about where they were which I thought was uh, was lovely. Very good. Very, very good. You always like pitching stuff for, for the magazine, don't you, Tej? You, like, you I like do, it. I do. What, it's my favourite. What's the <laughs> What do you think is the difference between a print story and an online story? Oh, it's quite hard to describe. I guess, well, the most obvious thing is that the magazine is a tangible thing. Mm. And 
I'm a bit of a magazine obsessive. A bit You're a... always ordering them, aren't you? Every week <laughs> yeah. you go, oh, you come over. To... Yeah. Have you seen the Sleaze Nation? <laughs> yeah, I am, I am a bit of a magazine collector. And you and get I... the, what was the, was it a Natalie and Brulia scratch off thing? What was that? Danny Minogue. Danny Minogue. It's a day's it. cover from 1997. And mm. it says, uh, scratch to reveal. It's sort of like a, <laughs> like a lottery card um, placed over her, good. her breasts. Um, <laughs> uh, so of its time. time it? yeah. <laughs> so of its time. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, but I, I must say, I do look back at some of the magazines and think, oh my God, you how like, did they get away with this? Order. Yeah, <laughs> order. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the most obvious thing is that, you know, it is tangible. You can hold it. It's something you can keep. And, you know, while it's incredible that we ha- now have like websites, magazine websites, and, you know, we're able to share information quite quickly, it can get quite buried and lost you know there we've all collectively we've all done countless articles written countless articles and we forget about a lot of them you know another thing with the magazine you never oh you have a record of it you have a record yeah Mm. you never quite forget thank you for listening to the new episode of the face podcast thank you to davy to tj to jade and to olive for joining me today the face podcast is produced by hunter charlton recorded at spotify hq we'll see you next time